Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is Monday, the twenty-third of October, twenty-twenty-three. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. It's your call. It's your call. What do you think? The choice uh, was between two seemingly equal poor options. Equally poor options. Mm, Seemingly equally poor options. A lot of L-Ys in that sentence. Uh, Either choice might prove to be wrong. But staying where you were was not an option any longer. So just want you to place yourself in that moment wherever that has been in your life. You got uh, two seemingly equal, equally poor options in front of you. Either choice might prove to be the wrong choice, but staying where you are is no longer an option. Have you been there? Have you been there? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? So uh, here is uh, the translation of the statement: We had to move, but which path held greater possibility? of leading us to life. That is um, the English translation of the, uh, of the native language, which I won't even try to, uh, to, to tell you what the name of the language is, uh, spoken by the particular tribe in the jungles of Colombia, where, do you remember those four kids who disappeared after that plane crash and then it took uh, more than a month to find them? Well, that's the statement as translated into English. We had to move, but which path held greater possibility of leading us to life? That is um, that they had to make a judgment call. May 1st, 2023, four children traveling with their mother and two other adults in a small plane. The engine cut out over a section of virgin rainforest in southern Colombia. The plane crashed. Nose first, killing the people who were in the front of the plane. All three of the adults on board died upon impact. But the four children who were in the back of the plane survived. I mean, injury-free. Two girls, 13 and 9, their five-year-old brother and their baby sister, who was 11 months old at the time, she had her first birthday in the jungle in the care of her siblings. The first judgment call was how long to remain with the wreckage. So just put yourself there for a moment. You have to make a judgment call. In the words of the now 14-year-old, we had to move. But which path held greater possibility of leading us to life? Which path leads to life? So the first judgment call they had to make was this one. How long do we remain with the wreckage? When uh, the bodies began to decay, attracting unwanted attention in the jungle, they had to make a judgment call. 
Now, what have you always told your kids? What were you told as a child? Maybe as an older adult, what are you being told? What do we tell our kids to do when they're lost? We tell them to stay where they are, no matter what. Trust that we are coming to find you. But for how long? It had been several nights and days and no one had come. They were at a proverbial fork in the road. And they set out on foot. For a month, for a month, the Colombian military searched from the air. Native people searched on the ground. Aid packets were dropped. Messages were broadcast in the voice of their grandmother. With each passing day and then with each passing week, it became more and more likely that they either would not be found at all or certainly not be found alive and well. And yet, because at every turn, they made the right judgment call. At every time they could, they followed smaller tributaries to larger and larger bodies of flowing water. And as they followed the living water, they were sustained and found alive. That is how the 13-year-old, now 14, describes how she made the judgment call. Every time I looked for the way of life, where the water flowed, that is where we went. Just think about that for just a moment. Living water, flowing water. Are you following the way of the one who is the living water that leads to life? I mean, it's not, it's not hard to make a spiritual application here, right? So it is a story of survival and human resilience and the value of teaching our children to care for themselves and one another. And it's a lesson in good judgment in any given moment, in any given moment today, in the next moment, you're going to have to make a judgment call, right or left. Move more or less, move or stay, yes or no. Pick up an offense or let it go. Live peaceably or rage, sow or reap, build or tear down. Be an agent of grace or one of discord, a minister of reconciliation or one of division. To love or to hate, to eat or to fast, to give or to hoard, to buy or to sell, to vote or to let others choose. To exercise or to just sit there. To do what is right or to do what is expedient to speak truth or allow lies to go unchallenged, to shine as light or to hide it, to bind up the broken or to pass by on the other side of the road, to treat people as an interruption or as a divine appointment. It's a judgment call. Every single one of those moments is a judgment call. But who are we to judge, right? I mean, that's what the world says. Well, who are you to judge? Didn't Jesus say, judge not lest ye be judged? Yes, but that's only the beginning of the verse. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, begins with those words that the world loves to quote, do not judge or you too will be judged. But the verse goes on. Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And who, by the way, is going to judge the way we judge? Because in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, implies there's a judgment coming. And who is that judge? Well, Jesus is that judge. Jesus is the measure of judgment. Jesus is the judge. Who are you to judge is one question. But every one of us makes judgment calls all day long. The fact that you're listening right now is a judgment call. The question is not who are you to judge, but how are you judging? 
By what measure, by what standard are you making the judgment calls that you're making all day long every day? By what measure are you judging between right and wrong, truth and lies, good and evil, this way or that way, life or death? What does it look like for Jesus to be the measure of how we judge the moment by moment and the momentous decisions of life? Jesus is the judge. By what measure does Jesus judge? And you and I are going to be judged by the measure we judge others. So I'm going to use the measure of Jesus so that when Jesus comes to judge, the measure with which I get measured is the full measure of the grace he poured out in his life upon the cross. It's a judgment call whether or not to believe and follow Jesus. But those who are in Christ then judge everything and everyone by that one judgment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, already getting really um, great feedback from those of you who are joining us in our current Reading the Bible Together series, Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. It started yesterday, but it's not too late for you to jump in and join us. So go to MyFaithRadio.com, Reading the Bible Together um, you know, click on that link and join us. Um, don't you want to know about the women in Jesus's lineage? We've got uh, a five-week free study guide uh, and links to the Bible, Reading the Bible Together podcast. And so I'm going to encourage you to jump in on that opportunity today. MyFaithRadio.com, Reading the Bible Together. Okay, let's bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of this day. It will not surprise you that uh, that topping the news um, are issues related to the unfolding, ongoing war. We are now on a on a war footing. Um, this is now wartime. Everyone is aware of it between Israel and Hamas. Hamas being the terrorist organization that took over control of Gaza, and from there launched a cross-border assault against the people of Israel. This took place on Saturday morning, October the 7th. Um, And I would say that, you know, with each passing moment, the, uh, the likelihood of the Israeli army crossing that same border um, into, into Gaza, the other direction, you know, it just grows more and more imminent. So the U S to Israel The United States to Israel, um, from every single official voice that we have, has been saying since the moment um, of the uh, of the assault, we've got your back. That's literally the language. We've got your back. America has your back. The United States has your back for as long as it takes and whatever it takes. The U.S. has your back. Those are it's phrased differently. But uh, but the the secretary of state, the secretary of defense, the president of the United States Each of them and all of them have been saying and continue to say the United States has your back. So what does that mean and what does that look like? I I personally like the way Secretary of State Antony Blinken said it. This is very well phrased. Um, He said when he went to Israel um, and he is standing there in front of the world with um, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, representing what is now a three-person war cabinet. Um, So Decisions are no longer being made, by the way, in case you didn't know this, no longer being made 
by Benjamin Netanyahu all by himself, right? It's now three people who must come to agreement, which means that two of the three must agree on something. And so when the two of the three agree, then the Israeli military will cross into Gaza. When the two, when two of the three, the three agree, then, you know, X, Y, Z. Okay. So the message that I bring, this is Antony Blinken uh, again to the world, but on a stage with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel last week. The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never, never have to. Blinken said, um, you know, emphasizing the U.S. support as unconditional. He said this, we will always be there by your side. That's another way of saying we've always got your back. And so what does that look like for the United States of America to have Israel's back? Well, within hours of the attack on Israel by Hamas, the United States moved warships and aircraft into the region to be ready to provide Israel, quote, whatever it needs to respond. In addition to the two U.S. carrier groups that we've talked about on prior occasions, the U.S. sent um, additional vessels, including marine warships, to the region. These marine vessels carry helicopters and assault craft. That's, you know, like those those um, those little fast boats that uh, that they can launch to insert the Marines into hostile territory or to provide medical evac and other assistance that might be needed. Uh, every single day, shipments of U.S. weapons and equipment have been arriving to Israel. Some of those are the supplying of offensive weapons, but lots of them are to... Lots of those shipments are to supply or resupply the Iron Dome. Scores of U.S. military aircraft um, have been repositioned from military bases around the world to U.S. bases across the Middle East. Special operations units have uh, been on the ground assisting, not in military actions, but in intelligence, in intelligence sharing and planning. Thousands of U.S. forces are now standing at the ready. Um, So... You know, you're going to hear there's no official U.S. boots on the ground in Israel. But to be clear, we are in this. We are in this. Um, And let us also be clear, this is already wider than Gaza. Um, This is the West Bank, which you have probably heard about over the weekend. This is Yemen. This is uh, Lebanon. This is Syria. This is Iraq. And behind all of that, there is Iran. So the president is requesting a $105 billion aid package that is uh, divided between additional assistance for Ukraine, assistance for Israel, and um, shoring up our southern border here in the United States. The Pentagon redirected the USS Eisenhower strike group to the Middle East over the weekend. A U.S. Navy destroyer in the Red Sea shot down three missiles um, from the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen. The State Department has issued non all non-essential personnel and their families out of Iraq. Um, and issued a level four travel warning to Americans for um, not only Lebanon, but now also Iraq. Um, And obviously there is the wartime um, warning from the State Department in relationship to people traveling to Israel and the Palestinian territories of Gaza and the West Bank. America has got your back. It's one thing for America to have your back. That That is a powerful force in the world. It's another thing for God to have your back. Do you know that God's got your back today? God's got your back. In Jesus Christ, God has got you covered. He's your rear guard. 
Nothing is too hard for God. You can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He loves you. Um, He's ready right now to hear you when you cry out. Every single one of those are verses from the Bible, by the way. Jeremiah 32, 17, 1 Peter 5, 7, uh, Jeremiah 33, 3. Here's Romans 8, 31. What are we going to say in response to all these things? Well, if God is for us, who can stand against us? God has got your back, my friend. Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. God's literally got your back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. All right, nothing is too difficult for God. Um, And we love that. We love that God um, cares for us. We love that God has got us covered in Christ. Uh, I know that we shared at the end of last week that the State Department has issued a worldwide caution in relationship to um, Americans traveling abroad. I also know that there's an awful lot of trouble right here at home. And so maybe you are um, aware of the events in New York City. Maybe you are aware of the events in Chicago. But in case you're not, let me uh, let me brief you in. And these these protests are happening in cities across the country. And so I'm not leaving you out. I'm just reading um, reading us in on the ones that are sort of scorching the national headlines today. So this out of New York, this is from the New York Times, quote, angry and afraid, tensions high in New York over Israel-Hamas war. Here's the subhead. Recent protests on both sides of the conflict have drawn thousands, and anti-Semitic and anti-Islamic attacks have added to the sense of unease. So um, New York City has notably very large Muslim and very large Jewish communities in and around the city of New York. And there have been impassioned protests and rallies on what is you know, described as both sides. So thousands have, um, uh, have gathered on Saturday about 5,000 people um, in the Bay Ridge neighborhood of Brooklyn, it is, it is one of the places in the United States of America that has an extremely large Palestinian population. And I want to talk about that word for a moment. Um, and they held what is described as a largely peaceful protest, calling for um, specifically a one-sided ceasefire. They want to see Israel stop attacking Gaza. Um, 
because people refused to allow vehicles on the street to flow freely, eventually the police arrested 19 people, but um, they were all ultimately released. A protest followed um, in Times Square, um, pro-Palestinian demonstrations on Thursday, on Friday, and then again on Saturday. Um, the, here's a, uh, a, a council person for the Bay Ridge community. Again, it's, a, it's an almost exclusively Muslim community and a very, very high Palestinian population. So many people in New York, quote, so many people in New York have family back home. They're scared to death. They're angry and afraid. I think it's important we acknowledge that justice for one group won't come through the erasure of another. So the, the distinction there um, that I just want to lift up um, is the phrase back home. The reality that these citizens of the United States of, of America still largely identify themselves as Palestinian um, and that the the call and concern is for justice. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that the call and concern is for justice. The challenge is that one um, one particular terrorist organization fully embedded in the midst of a population of people who are known as Palestinian um, crossed a sovereign border and killed. Um, the numbers are now... Uh, 1,400 Israelis murdered them, slaughtered them, and we can't even describe on radio. I can't even tell you on radio the things that they did because we don't say those kinds of things out loud. Um, and so, and there are still more than 200 hostages. And so for, for there being a, a call for um, Israel to restrain her response does fail to take into account the fact that there are still hostages being held and there are still um, 1,400 dead. And I recognize that the numbers of dead among the population in Gaza now far exceeds that. Totally understand that. Also recognize that we're talking about people on both sides who operate out of an Old Testament um, view of justice. So, yes, I'm a Jesus person. I recognize that Jesus says, you know, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I say, um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are not on neither side of this. Are there Jesus people? Nobody is operating out of that worldview. Everyone is operating out of the Old Testament worldview, which is an eye for an eye. And so we have to recognize that we have to recognize that on neither side of this is there a Christian worldview. So that is a sober, sober um, truth, and I don't want us to forget that in the midst of it. Um, so as there are demonstrations, um, just recognize that for Jewish Americans, there is a whole lot of fear, tons of emotions to process, um, shock, a sense of helplessness, many of them feeling abandoned by people who they thought were their allies. And then, yes, um, Palestinians living in the United States, confused, dismayed by the violence, also feeling um, abandoned by some of their allies, a sense of helplessness, a desire for solidarity. Uh, and so I, let, me, let me just say this. 
anti-Semitism is not okay. Anti-anything is not okay. Let's be pro-life people. Let's be pro-Jesus people. Let's be pro-peace people. Let's be pro-justice people. And you say to yourself, I can't balance all those things. I cannot balance all those things. Okay, so let's judge by the judgment with which we want to be judged. So when Jesus returns as the judge, what judgment do you want him to use when it applies to you? And then let's apply that judgment today. Is that going to be easy? No. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. It's going to be complicated. It's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be long-term. You've probably heard over the weekend um, U.S. military officials saying, look, it took us nine months. It took us nine months in Mosul. We talk about urban warfare. When we talk about uh, the Israeli army, actually the IDF, actually moving into Gaza, we're going to be talking about um, not just block-by-block warfare, but door-by-door, tunnel-by-tunnel, room-by-room, closet-by-closet, IEDs, booby traps, people using other people as human shields. It is going to be awful. If you think it's bad now, it is about to get indescribably worse. And you say to yourself, you know, how can you, how can you then keep moving forward? Because that's the only way to go. We are going to continue putting it all at the, uh, at the foot of the throne of, of a holy God. We're going to acknowledge that God cares as much about people on one side of this as he cares about people on the other, because God does care about each and every human life. God also cares about justice. And God has made some hesed promises in the past that we can all trust him to keep. And we can also say that the peace that is sought in this world falls far short of the peace which passes all understanding. And so this is a Jesus moment. Like every other moment in life, this is a Jesus moment. And so we need to be the people who recognize who he is. We need to be able to speak his name. And we have to remember that N-O Jesus, no Jesus, N-O peace. But those who know Jesus, K-N-O-W, we do know peace, even in the midst of war. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daniel Bennett is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, another headline, one here in the United States of America. We're going to talk about what happens when, you know, you show up at court to plead and you plead guilty. Or what does it mean to plead innocent? There's some headlines this week about people taking guilty pleas, and I want to talk about what that means. What does it mean to stand up and plead guilty? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University in the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Carmen. What, um, let's start here. What has your attention? What are you thinking about this morning? Well, I'd rather not be thinking about it, but the vacant House Speaker position is, uh, <laughs> it's getting a little ridiculous at this point. My students certainly want to talk about it, so I'm kind of forcing myself to pay attention. 
Okay, so um, for those people who have have not been paying attention, it looks like there are now nine candidates. Sure. Does that yeah, sound right? Folks, Does that sound yeah, right this morning? Well, the last count, but I mean, you know, I've been off my phone for the last ten minutes, so it's possible <laughs> okay. we're up to twenty so, at this point. So let's see. Here's the lead paragraph, and I'll just read this one uh, because there were going to be yeah. people who said, "Well, I thought Jim Jordan was no, no, he couldn't get there." And so then it was yeah. uh, they tried Steve Scalise uh, for another round, and then he didn't get there. As of Sunday afternoon, here's I'm going to just read this paragraph. Nine House GOP members are throwing their hats in for speaker representing a wide range of ideologies within the Republican Party. That's really the issue, right? That there's that there's yeah. not one party. There's like a bunch of a bunch of little fractured parts of a party. Yeah, and you see this, uh, I mean, throughout American political history, you've seen disunity, discord, uh, factions within, you know, our two major parties. Uh, But right now, with Republicans in the majority in the House, I think we're seeing the consequences of these factions not being able to rally behind one one, uh, leader. Uh, and this is different from in 20 from earlier in 2023 with uh, with Kevin McCarthy being, uh, you know, after 15 votes, pretty easily elected speaker eventually. Um, ultimately, Donald Trump, uh, who is still obviously probably the most important person in the Republican Party, got behind Kevin McCarthy and said, we need to rally around him. We need to basically create a governing coalition and, and, you know, beat back the Biden administration. He's not doing that this time around. In fact, Trump has kind of uh, sown more seeds of, of discord and chaos in the conference. And so there's, it's really difficult for one person to command that 217 vote majority without that unifying uh, message from, from former president Trump. <sighs> okay. Let's just move on. We can't resolve okay. this. I mean, That's right. <laughs> They're going to go round and round until they arrive at something. And uh, it, and so, yeah, it, hopefully it, we're not, it, not still I'll talking just, about I'll this in mention, two weeks. Yeah, I hope not. But I mean, I'll just mention, too, right now, without a Speaker of the House, the House is unable to really conduct any formal legislative business. And even the idea of temporarily empowering the current person who's there generally to oversee, you know, speaker elections, that's been uh, essentially shot down as a way to empower the Democratic uh, minority in the House. And so there's really not a way forward on this unless all these different factions come together and say, we have to find a candidate who can govern. And uh, as long as they can couch it as pushing back against the Biden agenda, that's probably the way forward on this. But I'm just skeptical that message is going to resonate anymore with all this infighting. Okay, I'm done, Carmen. Well, so having said that, they can do anything they decide among themselves to do. And so if they decide, hey, we are going to take up this one item of business, and that's this package that the president has um, has asked for in relationship to Ukraine, Israel, and the southern border. If they decide we we are going to empower Patrick McHenry to bring this one item of business up, they can empower themselves to to take that action. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And it's it's funny because you could see that happen on a like a piecemeal basis where they just decide, okay, yeah, this legislation is important. Let's work to that. We'll have these procedural votes, and then we'll go back to being you know, chaos. It's like we're going to lift the uh, we're going to raise the window and then lower it again. 
So it's just, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's complex. Okay. So, um, uh, one other thing going on, <clears throat> you know, much of our attention is fo- focused right now internationally and focused on issues here in the United States related to what's happening internationally. But there are some things happening um, that are justice oriented and they flow out of the last U.S. presidential election cycle. And so the name Sidney Powell might be familiar to you if you're listening right now. She is an attorney. Um, the president, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, disavowed her over the weekend and said she was never his attorney, but she was in the room a lot of times functioning as an attorney. And she has pled guilty to um, a particular charge. And then we've had another attorney plead guilty as well. This is all in relationship to what's going on in the state of Georgia. So, Daniel, can you maybe just read us in on where we are? And then I want to have kind of a broad conversation about what it means to plead guilty or not guilty in a court of law. Yeah, sure. So, you know, if your listeners have have watched any type of crime procedural drama or anything like that, um, you'll know that when you are brought before a court and you're charged with a crime, you can either plead guilty or not guilty. Guilty essentially admits wrongdoing, admits that you have... You know, you're basically owning up to the crime with which you're, uh, you know, charged with committing and uh, not guilty, of course, would be you're not doing that. You're saying this isn't uh, this isn't right. I didn't I didn't do these things. And I'm looking forward to uh, proving my case in, in a court of law. So by essentially pleading guilty, oftentimes what happens is you if you're depending on the crime, right, you can probably negotiate some type of deal with the prosecutor, with the state to say, Hey, in in exchange for me pleading guilty and saving the state the trouble and the time and the expense of a trial, um, I'm going to plead guilty here. And in exchange for that, I'm hoping for a reduced or more lenient sentence. And so let's say someone was facing five years in prison for a crime uh, if it went to trial and they were convicted. If If they pled guilty, you know, the prosecutor might make a recommendation to say, well, you can serve, say, a year and a half in prison instead. Um, so that that's the primary difference. There's some grades on this, and depending on the type of crime, it could change. But essentially, not guilty is you're you're challenging the the state's uh, position against you. Guilty is you're owning up to it and saying yes, I'm I'm conf- I'm confessing to this, and I'm willing to accept the the punishment. So um, when we talk about uh, Sidney Powell and others who are making. I mean, they are they are pleading guilty. They're pleading their their case down to lesser charges than that which they have been charged with. Um, and they're pleading guilty and they're willing to take, you know, whatever this negotiated punishment is in each case. That still falls short of telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Yeah. And it, exactly. it occurs to me, it occurs to me and I, and, and I could be totally wrong about this, but the person who has been charged with something and stands up to answer the charge, are they sworn in in the same way that a witness is sworn in in court? That's a great question. That's a good See, criminal procedure question. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't like in my, again, like in my watching of crime drama, I don't remember seeing that. Like the person stands up and it says, do you understand the charge? And you know, they, you know, yes. And do you know, and when, what is your plea? And sometimes they enter oh. it via their, attorney but they're not sworn in to tell the truth 
Like, right? They no, can stand there and lie. <laughs> now, when you plead checking. guilty, good. When you plead guilty, you 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 often are asked whether you um whether you are you know stipulating the certain things like it's not just you plead guilty the judge will ask now you're acknowledging that this happened and this happened and this happened Mm -hmm. but i get your point right you're not necessarily sworn in in the same way that someone else is yeah i don't know if you're sworn to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth which is one of those times in the in the u.s justice system in particular where it feels like god shows up oh yeah yeah definitely and most most I mean, if you obviously look in the Constitution and then in the amendments that govern our criminal justice system, at least at the federal level, there's no requirement for witnesses to be sworn in on a on a Bible or to have this language of so help you God or anything like this. And so part of this, I think, is just part of our deep story of being a people that are formed at a very, very deep level by the language of faith and the language and the importance of the primacy and the sovereignty of God. Even if we don't acknowledge that, or even if we, you know, personally don't consider that important, uh, our culture is deeply influenced by these things to the point where, you know, it shows up in a criminal trial for embezzlement or something. Um, yeah, I just, I love, I love the question or the observation of where in our criminal justice system there are these evidences that we do construct our holding one another accountable. Um, We we do it before God and we do it with the acknowledgement that God's actively involved. I mean, if the person who is testifying, bearing witness, is doing so, uh, telling the truth, which in a in a post-truth culture, that question even is an interesting one. What does it mean in a court of law today to ask someone to, you know, commit to telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, even if they leave off the so help me God part, which I understand mm. in some courts they leave that off. But what what does it mean in a post-truth culture to even ask that question? If my truth is my truth, then whatever I say is truth, is it not? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I I will mention, too, I know uh, in some of these cases, you'll have someone plead guilty, uh, not necessarily because they did what they're accused of doing, but they see the deck is maybe stacked or they see Mm. the evidence appears to be so strong against them that they just say, well, I'll plead guilty because, you know, a two year stint in jail is better than a 10 year stint in jail. Mm. Uh, And then there's questions of whether or not that comes close to serving what justice actually is and the answer is most clearly you know no it's not okay we're going to have a conversation about justice here next and how the justice of this world compares and contrasts with the justice of the kingdom of god we're talking with daniel bennett you're listening to mornings with carmen i'm angela smith host of reading the bible together and have you ever read the book of matthew you know at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought who are these people what what are their stories you know why are they listed here in our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar. Who was she? You know, what, what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, Jesus's mother. 
all the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're talking with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. I have posed the question about how the justice of this world, maybe more specifically the justice we experience under the system of justice here in the United States of America, because I'm not sure we could talk about the justice of this world compared with the justice system of the kingdom of God. But let's take a let's take a swing at it, Daniel. When you think about the term justice, what justice looks like in this world, um, what are maybe some contrasts we could make with the justice system of the kingdom of God? Well, obviously, the first you know major departing point is the lack of perfection or the lack of com- lack of completeness. Uh, when we think about the justice of God, this is something that is already done, right? If we think about uh, victory over sin and death, I mean that that part of um, that's completed. Uh, but at the same time, the justice that we're owed for sin uh, is is not the the consequence we receive through the through the grace of Jesus. Uh, so it's it's a very complicated notion, and I'm I'm certainly not a not a theologian of God's justice or anything like this. But I will say, it does speak to the the fact that we are focused in this temporal life on pursuing justice in either a courtroom or in our communities speaks to the influence that this overarching understanding of God's justice has in all of our lives. If justice wasn't important, if justice wasn't a thing uh, at the eternal, uh, you know, level in heaven, then it wouldn't really make sense for us to continue to pursue it on earth, particularly uh, given we're selfish, self-interested, et cetera. So I think the fact that we so often seek justice and speak about the primacy and importance of justice says that we continue to be influenced by something well beyond where we are in our current uh, state of affairs. When you see um, and hear people calling for, um, you know, justice for, and then let's yeah. specifically, you know, you could fill in the blank justice for a particular group of people on one side of a division or another. Um, how do we how, sort of, how do we, ju- what's the judgment call that we make in terms of what it looks like? What, what, what would it look like today for Israel to get justice for what has happened? And what does it look like for, you know, people to be treated justly um, on the on the other side of that border, because I think weighing that in the cultural conversations of the day is the difficulty we're all having. Yeah, I think part of it comes back to uh, if you look at the atrocities that were committed against, you know, these civilians in Israel, it's almost impossible to achieve perfect justice uh, for that. How do you uh, achieve justice for the murder of a mother and her children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would it be as simple as 
capturing, trying, and executing that person who's who's responsible. For the family members of that person, I'm not sure that would seem sufficient. Uh, so it does speak to the difficulties of trying to achieve justice. You see this anytime, in, like even in the United States, where there's a, you know, someone is is uh, accused of, of committing murder against someone else, and maybe in a particularly heinous way, and then this person is tried and convicted, and you know, maybe even either serving a life sentence in prison or or is is executed by the state. Very few instances are there where victims' families and and other folks affected come out and say, it's done now, right? The effects of injustice linger across generations. And so what we're seeing in Israel is an attempt to defend one's people, an attempt to pursue justice. But I think we have to remember that that pursuit is going to be almost preordained to be incomplete and inadequate given our limitations as human beings. It's interesting to see Jews and Christians and Muslims respond in real time in the midst of what is happening. Um, it's interesting to see how different people are reporting um, and how different people are responding. Um, I'm not even sure that it's been widely reported yet that more than a dozen Christians um, have died while sheltering in the Greek Orthodox Church in Gaza. Um mm because of an airstrike i haven't even i mean i haven't seen either side like particularly interested in reporting on that um yeah. and that's sad to me like there there are christians literally in the crossfire of all of this um and they can't they couldn't flee south because they're not accepted as a part of um obviously of the palestinians they are not palestinian they happen to live in gaza but they're christians um mm. and so they couldn't flee south so they had to stay and they sheltered in, well, they're primarily sheltered in two churches, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Latin Church, or the what we would call the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but because of an airstrike, and it was an Israeli airstrike, um, at least a dozen of them are dead. And they can't, they can't leave the church, the, those who are in the church can't leave the church to go get help elsewhere. Like it's, you know, and so, you know, what does justice look like for Christians in the midst of all of this? What does it look like for us to be people who are not fanning the flame of war? But, yeah. you know, but as Americans, man, we're, we are in this. I guess maybe that's yeah. another part of this conversation that we might have to have at a different point in time. But, um, like, we're in this as Americans. Yeah, and, and part of it is the the complexity of, of global politics and the importance of alliances and allegiances and supporting our, our friends and allies when they're, when they're attacked and when they're facing difficulties. Um, but it's not as simple as saying that's not our fight. That's not, uh, that's not important to us. I'm um, to say nothing of the, you know, social and, and uh, economic ties we have, but also, like you said, just the importance of, uh, you know, recognizing that we, you know, there are Americans over there. If you're a Christian, there are Christians there. Um, and it does speak to just <laughs> how difficult it's going to be, especially if you're just caught up in this crosshairs, right? How can you achieve justice now for these innocents who, you know, they didn't want this, they didn't have any part in this, and yet they're paying, you know, pretty severe consequences. So we're not going to yeah. solve this this morning, but 
as Christians, we have to be we have to be praying about this and really be reflecting on what our responsibilities are. Daniel, as always, thank you so much. Hopefully, as you're listening, you're thinking to yourself, okay, these are the kinds of conversations that I might be able to have. And it's okay to not reach a point of resolution. There there are, in many of these conversations in the days in which we're now living, there's not easy resolution. Um, there's complexity, and there's layers of complexity. And it's okay um, to to live in that. It's okay to say this is more complex than we can resolve in a conversation. This is more complex than um, than human beings have been able to resolve in millennia. We're talking about something that's been going on for 5,000 years. And so the hubris to imagine that, you know, because we're in the conversation now um, and because, um, uh, be- because the United States of America is in the conversation now, something that's been going on for millennia will, you know, will now easily be resolved. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour coming up next. Um, Let me know what you're thinking. 877-933-2484 is the text number. Again, text me what you're thinking. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.